We are in the book of Amos. Amos in the Bible. If you want to turn there, I'm going to be reading from several scriptures out of the book of Amos. If you need to use the index in the front, that's okay. We're in the little minor prophets, the little books, the end of the Old Testament. Book of Amos. Let me just read verse 1. The words of Amos. Who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Book of Amos is a fascinating book. Really interesting, and, and honestly, I could do a whole series on Amos, and I'm doing one Sunday. So we're going to be kind of flying through a couple, but I just want to kind of zero in on a couple of texts try to get you an understanding of Amos. Amos, my professor, when I had a class on the Minor Prophets, Dr. Toole, he called it um, harsh words in good times. Amos is probably the earliest of the prophets, written right around 760 B.C. We we, we can kind of base that base on the the kings. Uh, We're not totally sure when this earthquake was, but somewhere around 760 B.C., so very, very early for the prophets. And Israel is in the middle of this really pretty good time. The power of the day is the Assyrians. So the Assyrians, though, are in battle with another power on the other side of the Assyrian Empire. So they're really leaving Israel and all the countries around them alone at the time because they're busy somewhere else. This, in the next 20 years after after Amos, changes. And they come and eventually wipe out um, Israel, the northern part of the nation, uh, at the time, they're split. That's why there's two kings listed. You have Israel and Judah. And eventually, Assyria is going to come back. They're going to finish another battle, another war. They're going to come back, and then Israel is going to have problems. But right now, things are pretty good. Uh, Amos, uh, the trade is good. The other countries around them are pretty good because Assyria is leaving them alone. And Amos is called to go and preach to, uh, to the north, to Israel. What's interesting about that is that... Um, He's not from the north. Tekoa is an area that's in the south. It's south of Jerusalem. And so God calls not a priest, not uh, anybody real special, but a shepherd. And says, go to the other nation from the north and prophesy. Uh, he, a lot of people talk about him as a, a really poor shepherd. Um, just kind of a shepherd. But, but some of the book tends to allude that maybe he owns flocks and some vineyards. That he's a little more middle to upper class than a lot of people tend to put him. But you can imagine if, if you were a nation and you thought you were doing pretty well and then somebody from the other part of the nation that you're fighting with, that you are arguing with, comes and starts telling you how bad you are that you're not real well liked. And I think that's Amos. And Amos is really pretty harsh but he doesn't seem to keep going and going with that. He, get, he does his prophecy, and then it seems like instead of having a life of prophecy, he goes back and uh, then becomes a shepherd once again. So, here we go. The first couple chapters, I can't read them uh, for you because it's just too long. Uh, but he, he, he starts giving judgment to all these nations around them. And he has a formula he does it, if you read it later. He says, for three transgressions and for four. For three transgressions and for four, kind of a poetic way to say, there's a lot of stuff I have to say about you. And he does that for Damascus, for Gaza, for Tyre, for Edom, for the Ammonites, 
from Moab. Now, that might not make a lot of sense to us, but if you look at a map, it's very interesting what he's doing. He's sort of circling Israel. He's putting judgment on all these other nations around Israel. And if you were Israel, you were probably like, yeah, get up. I mean, you can hear, if Amos is reading this or preaching this in front of a whole bunch of people, you can hear the crowd getting excited. Yeah, get them. Get those guys. Yeah, with every passing country, the crowd sort of riles up. And then he zeroes in on Judah, which is the southern part of Israel. Oh, now, get them. Get Judah, yeah. They're bad. Three transgressions and four. Get them. And then he turns and sets his sights on Israel. And you can imagine the change in the crowd. Right? This frenzy that has been worked up and now... Wait, wait, wait. You're talking about us too? Me too? I understand all these other people are terrible, but I'm terrible? We're terrible? Now, uh, let me read from Amos chapter 4. Amos chapter 4. I'm going to start right at the beginning. Listen to how how he really gets them. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. Cows of, he calls them cows, right? You cows of Bashan. Bashan was this pretty wealthy area where they, they had really good livestock. It's on the east side of the Jordan River, and it's very, very lush. They, they have a lot of farming there. Um, they, have a, they had a lot of livestock there. And so the cows there were, were like, they weren't skinny cows, right? They're big, fat, well-taken-care-of cows that are going to have the best meat they're going to have. So, <laughs> Amos, you cows of Bashan, right? I have never started a sermon like that ever, right? It would not go well. But Amos is like, bam, right there. Hey, listen up, cows. Who are on the mountain of Samaria? Who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. Um, now, you can, you can read commentaries that are feminist readings that really do not like that phrase. Um, but, but the sense is... Um, the sense is of people that are very entitled, right? People that don't have to do anything for themselves. They just get taken care of. The Lord God has sworn by His holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. Hooks were often used to slaughter and to move the cattle after you've slaughtered them. Okay? So, this is... I called you cows, now you're going to get butchered. That's, that's the image here. And you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. Breaches, he's talking about the city, right? He's talking about the land. You're going to end up running through the breaches, the holes that are put in your walls of your town, because something's going to come and destroy your town. Has this, Amos doesn't pull any punches, does he? You can imagine him coming to the north, calling them all cows, ready to be butchered. Probably not real liked. Bam, right to the point. But he's making a point. I mean, Israel has this sense of entitlement in these days. They think they're in good shape. They think God is with them. They are sort of like fatted calves, just have the life being taken care of, and they have no idea the danger that's coming. They have no sense of how off 
their life is. This is the problem with following God in good times. Because sometimes we go through good times, we get this false sense of everything's okay because everything's going all right. I must be okay with God if he's blessing my business or he's helping my finances or if things are really going right in my life. It's sometimes really hard to follow God in good times because it's hard in good times to get a real sense of feedback on how you're actually doing. You get self-reliant, self-righteous, and self-centered. So you get self-reliant. I don't really need God. Things are fine, so I'll just take care of myself. Right? Then I get self-righteous as if, as if I should do this, and I did this, and I made it this way. And then you get self-centered. It's so easy in good times to forget about people who are having bad times. You ever notice that? In fact, there are a lot of times when we go through good times, we don't want to be around people with bad times. I don't want to be around angry people when I'm feeling so happy. I don't want to, you have those friends that are going through something and you're just not going through it. They lose someone, they go through all this stuff, but you're not there. And it's just draining to be around those people. It's easier to kind of section yourself off in your own happy little bubble when things are going well. It seems to happen to us, and it seems to be where Israel is. And Amos points it out and says, no, 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 no. We better be careful here. In Amos 5, he starts to really talk about the idea of the day of the Lord. And I introduced this a couple weeks ago. The day of the Lord is the day that they said, God's going to come back and make everything right. He's going to judge the nations. He's going to judge all people. But Israel at this time has this sense of, well, but we are the right people. We are good. We have the worship practices, and we go to the temple, and we do the sacrifices, and we do all the right things, and so we must be in good shape with God. And Amos will hear none of it. Listen to these words in Amos 5, starting in verse 18, if you're following along. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Desire. They don't, they don't just kind of want it. They want it, but why? It's really like a self-righteous thing. I want the day of the Lord because I want to watch all these other people that have been not nice to me get judged. No. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It's darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom and no brightness, is it? You long for this day, but you're not going to like what happens on this day, says Amos. And then he has these great images, right? It'd be as if you're flood, fleeing from a lion. Ah, a lion. And you run and you bump right into a bear. Or you think you're comfortable at home and you lean your hand against the wall. And this wouldn't happen in most of our homes. But in these homes, this is a possibility. You lean your hand against the wall and a serpent bites you from inside of the thatch or whatever your house is made out of. <laughs> Have you ever had times when you tried to make something better and you made it worse? You ever had those moments? You're fleeing from one thing, especially when you're in a hurry. I've got to fix this thing fast, and you make it so much worse. Or you're at a time when, when 
like this person in a house, you felt really comfortable and really safe, and then all of a sudden you didn't. I mean, all kinds of studies of people who get their house broken into. If that's you, I'm really sorry, because it could really mess with you, right? Your house is the one place you're supposed to feel safe. And if that's violated, you don't, you don't know what to do with yourself because then your safe place is gone. What powerful images Amos uses to describe the day of the Lord. You think you're getting away from trouble, but you might be running right into it. You, you think you're safe, but you are not safe. And you need to be careful here. He continues um, in verse 21 starts to unpack for this the ways in which they've been trying to flee stuff or they've been trying to feel safe that are not working. Ready? I hate, I despise your feasts. This is a quotation supposed to be from God saying this. Um, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt, your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Your peace offerings, your fatted animals, I will not look about them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, the melody of your harps. I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God says, all the stuff you're trying to do to make yourself right with me, all this worship, all this singing, all the feasts, all man, for Israel, everything was based on the feasts. Everything was based on the feast. That was your identity as a person. That was your identity in your faith. But God says to Amos, I, I hate those things. Now, he doesn't hate those things. God sets up those things. But he hates those things when they get in the way of an actual relationship with him. If I try to settle myself on, well, at least, God, I've been to church. At least, God, I've done the prayers I'm supposed to pray before meals, right? At least, God, I've done a little bit of good. No, 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 no. What does God want? Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Anybody ever heard that before? Anybody know where that was used? Martin Luther King Jr., who was steeped in the prophets, loved Amos. Used quotes from Amos and used this one. In fact, if you go see the Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, memorial in Washington, D.C., behind him are mountains. He's kind of carved out of the mountains, and you will see a water, a fountain flowing down those mountains based on this quote. No reference to where this quote comes from in the Washington, the, the monument in Washington, D.C., but this is where it's from. God cares about justice, God cares that things are right that people are treated fairly. See, God, the, if you worship and you come and do all this church stuff and those holy people on that mission trip and the holy people that pray on special days, and, but you don't care about people, you've missed it. You've missed it. It's not just about going through the motions. It's about your life transformation. And a lot of that life transformation has to do with how you treat other people says Amos. You, cannot, you can't be receiving God's grace and then be cruel to others. Okay? Following Jesus is a way of grace and it is a way of humility and it is a way of service. 
This is a little hard for us to get into, especially because we use the words justice and righteousness very differently in our culture. Um, justice has become a word that almost means like total social equality, right? Almost like a socialist. We, we say justice. We want everything to be fair and even. And that is not the Bible's understanding of those terms. The Bible's understanding is when I say justice, I mean that, God, that the world works the way God intended it to work. If God is truly God, then the world should work a certain way. That is justice. That is righteousness. And that is what we pursue. It's actually based in who God is, not in what we think should be equal. What did Jesus say? Whatever you have done to who? The least of these you've done to me. What do you... You, you want to worship God? You want to praise God? Go serve others. That's the biblical way. That's the way that you serve. I think Amos's words are really tough for us today. Because I think we live in a culture that is kind of at an up point right now, right? We are some of the wealthiest people in the world. And we complain about how poor we are. But when you look at the rest of the world... The average income around the world is very hard to calculate, by the way. Um, about $7,000 a year. That's about average. If you take out children and you assume adults, it's about $18,000 a year. It's about average. Um, more than a third of the world right now lives on $2 a day. You have more money probably floating around your couch than most people have for a whole day. Okay, in the change drawer in between the seats in your van or your car is more money than most people get all day. Think about that. Now, this, this is not actually a sermon on all this justice issue. I'm not trying to pursue that. I'm just saying, do you think we might live in a world that might look a little bit like Amos' Israel? you think we might be a little self-righteous? A little so- do you think the church might be like that? The church has been in this prime position in our country where we get to say what we want and most people went to church. All of a sudden that's changing and we don't know what to do with it. We're not in the position of dominance anymore. In fact, the culture is radically turning against Christians. And that is a trend I did not see reversing. I see getting worse. We need Amos' words now. We need a very radical faith now. To be a Christian 20 years from now is not going to be real easy. It's just not. The Christianity that our kids and our grandkids are going to have to live out is going to be much, much more difficult. It's not going to be assumed you can go to church. It's not going to be assumed you can take Sundays off. It's not going to be assumed that your opinion as a Christian should be heard. And we live in this time, and, and, and I think like Amos is Israel, we're not totally aware of it. And I'm not sure that we should call each other cows and quite get into the way that Amos sort of shocks but we better be careful. We better be careful as a nation. We better be careful as a people of God and as a church because I wonder if we, like Israel, have become a little too self-reliant, a little too self-righteous, and a little too self-centered. But that's not where Amos ends. When you read the Minor Prophets, it's pretty amazing how strong Amos can call these people cows, cows of Bashan. But that's not where he ends up because that's not where the gospel story ends up. It's just not. So let me read for you the ending of Amos in Amos chapter 9, starting in verse 11. 
in that day. I will raise up the booth David of David that has fallen and repair its breaches, raise up its ruins, rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and that all nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. I will rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink the wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. The gospel ends in grace. And we live in a time that's very difficult. But someday that day of the Lord, which has started in Jesus, is going to be completed in His second coming. And we look forward to a world that is right and is just. And it is something to look forward to. But it's not something to look forward to because we think we're so good. It's something to look forward to because we know about the grace of Jesus. And we know that we are called to be a people that shares that with others. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the strong words of Amos that challenge us today. Challenge us to be different. Challenge us to see people around us differently. Help us to live that out. We pray. Amen.